Welcome to the Sheila Kano Extractive Podcast. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. David Corsa. David is a geophysicist and a technical director at Integrated Geoscience Solutions PGY Limited in South Africa. The company focuses on minerals and energy systems exploration, groundwater mapping, clean energy solutions, and geoscience research. David, welcome to the Sheila Kano Extractive Podcast. I appreciate your taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. Uh, uh, very, very good afternoon to you. Thank you. So I wanted just to for us to help us with exploration agreements. I mean, what is an exploration agreement fundamentally? So um, in essence, um, uh, an exploration agreement is, is a formal contract uh, which is entered into between two parties. Um, and this uh, contract generally stipulates uh, the details of how mineral exploration will be conducted in a specific uh, jurisdiction. So these agreements are signed uh, between a mineral explorer, for example, and the state. Um, and in those agreements, uh, the explorer would provide some sort of a plan that would uh, detail the technical uh, proposal on the work that would be done, the budgets associated uh, with the work, and the timelines uh, involved. And the state will essentially track whether the explorer is doing the work uh, and, and what that, that what they have found and whether that work could have some sort of uh, socioeconomic uh, benefit. So those, those are between the private sector and the state. Uh, of course, there are other types of agreements that are signed between mineral exploration companies. Um, those are so-called joint venture agreements. Uh, we've seen a recent example of that um, with um, the Saudi uh, mining company Marden with uh, Ivanhoe, uh, for example. Um, and that's that, that an example of a, of a joint venture agreement. But in essence, they are meant uh, to uh, facilitate uh, mineral exploration um, and, and, and have some sort of a formalized uh, approach to how exploration will be done. Right. So uh, let's stick to the agreements between uh, exploration companies and the state. I mean, it seems self-evident, no doubt, to a person like you who's uh, steeped in the issues. But why is it necessary for the state to concern itself with the activities of uh, exploration companies such that they need to even have a legally binding agreement? Yeah, no, it's, a very, it's a very good question. So um, in many cases... Um, the state's concern is generally towards making sure that there's some sort of conformance with legal prescripts, um, protection of state interests. And this can be from, from many fronts, right? So from a point of view where there are environmental protection issues to be considered during exploration, perhaps even social issues. Uh, so the government's role is to ensure that, that you know, the, the legal prescripts are, are, are being taken into account and, and can be monitored. Um, in the main, though, um, if, there, if there are legal frameworks um, in, in, in certain jurisdictions, there should generally be a limited state involvement at an exploration level. Um, you know, the, the state could potentially play an oversight role when it comes to uh, ensuring that uh, the, the legal uh, prescripts have been adhered to. But generally, this is where, where the, 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 the limit of state involvement would be. I don't necessarily think that at an exploration level, um, there should be a much state uh, influence, uh, as it were. Right. So it, it's funny you should say that, because 
Of course, in many jurisdictions on the African continent, the state uh, owns the minerals. Are your answers yes. presuming state ownership or would the state still insert itself in a, a position in which, for instance, minerals uh, belong to the person who has surface rights? Would the role of the state still be the same? I think from at an exploration level, I think the role should 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 still be largely the same, um, because you know exploration, as you know, it's you you're trying to find something, right? So uh, there's no guarantee that you're going to find anything, um, but minerals ex mineral explorers know what to do. So uh, and this is why they take the risk uh, that they do when it comes to exploration, and at that level, because it's it's companies that are uh, essentially um, doing a lot of the work. Um, the state's involvement at that level, um, whether the minerals would be owned by them or they've been owned, they'd have a different ownership. At that level, um, I think this, the state, the level of state involvement, uh, should be as minimal uh, as possible. And I've seen example of of this where, um, you know, the, the state gets too involved, and in essence, it, it essentially cripples exploration. You haven't found anything, but you're actually crippling. Uh, you know the, the the way in which uh, um, it could the way that could ena enable uh, minerals to be found, and this is where uh, I think the level of state involvement at an exploration level should be as minimal as possible. So, so in other words, it's it's best for them to simply facilitate and let the explorers get on with the business uh, of uh, searching for minerals, because in the end, it, they are really just uh, taking risk, and there is nothing there that warrants. Uh, and do supervision as long as the routine reporting takes place. Tell me, uh, David, how do exploration agreements differ from uh, reconnaissance uh, agreements or surveys, as some people call? Yeah, yeah. So um, reconnaissance um, surveys are generally uh, sorry, um, a, a preliminary examination of. Uh, you know, general geologic features and characteristics of a region. Um, so this is really done at a, at a wide scale where you're really trying to hone in on an area uh, that you could conduct much more detailed work. So you might do something like, um, you know, regional geological mapping, geochemical sampling and all of those things. So that's, that's reconnaissance it's at, a, at a very large scale. And then once you've sort of identified a general area where you think there could be potential, this is where you start to looking at prospecting. So this is a relatively small scale minerals exploration. Uh, and it really is the first link in a, a chain of events that hopefully leads to a mineral resource. So you might uh, include much more detailed survey, um, a, a bit of drilling, trenching, pitting, panning, uh, and all of those things are done at a very, very local scale. So a reconnaissance agreement, in essence, would be the same type of agreement as a prospecting agreement, but it's simply on a much wider scale. And there's generally not a lot of strict environmental requirements, uh, for example, because at a reconnaissance level, you're not, you're not uh, drilling anything, you're not trenching anything. Yeah, you're not using a lot of water, for example. So it's not much invasive uh, uh, things that you do uh, when it comes to reconnaissance. It's only at a prospecting level that you get to include uh, these environmental requirements. So that's that's a fundamental difference between the two. So uh, I'm I'm visualizing this uh, the, the the idea of a, a, a reconnaissance survey 
as you said, with uh, airborne uh, mapping and, and essentially uh, trying to find rock. I need you yeah. to explain to the followers of the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast the relationship between searching for minerals and rock types. Most people yeah. uh, don't understand that the starting point is really finding a particular rock type and then taking it from there. Could you just yeah. briefly explain why would we want to map rock types in the first instance? Yeah, so um, you know the 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 rocks are obviously the host to the to the minerals that we are after, right? Now the minerals um, they don't care on they don't care in random. There's a specific process in which certain types of minerals gets formed. But in order to understand that process, one really needs to look at the rocks, but really needs to look at the rocks at a regional level. So, for example, you might look at an area that is a hundred kilometer by hundred kilometer. And in that area, you assessing the type of rocks uh, that are there at a regional level, the type of structures that are there. And then once you know those rocks, um, you start, um, in, in essence, applying some sort of scientific principles to say, what minerals could these rocks host? And this is now, so you've done with the reconnaissance, now you're getting more into a prospecting scale. So in there... Um, you're still looking at the rocks, but you understand the rocks in a lot more detail. So you are drilling, um, you are trenching, and you are taking those rock samples to the lab to be analyzed and to assess uh, the quantities of any minerals uh, that could be there. So that's 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 the that's the fundamental difference. And if you um, if you at a at a at a, at a prospect uh, at a regional scale or a reconnaissance scale, you might be looking, as I said, an area of hundred kilometer by hundred kilometer. Uh, and then at a prospecting scale, you might be looking at an area of, say, five kilometers by five kilometers. Um, and this is where you collect a lot more uh, information. So it starts with understanding the rocks uh, before you really start to tell what could be in the rocks as far as minerals are concerned. Yeah, it, it's important because in what you're saying, you 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 are able to make uh, us appreciate that really on some level, it's a, a process of elimination. If you don't find the host rock type, then you can deduce that the likelihood of a mineral deposit being there uh, is minimal because that particular rock that would normally host that mineral hasn't been found. And so you narrow it down uh, to that uh, level. So, I mean, the, when we think of uh, exploration agreements for minerals, do they differ materially from exploration agreements in terms of the provisions for petroleum deposits? Uh, at, a, at a fundamental level, um, there really is, is no difference uh, in a sense that they capture the same principles, but just for a different commodity. All right? So they might, uh, the, the exploration ag agreements for um, petroleum, for example, they might include um, such things as model production, sharing agreements, and all of those things should a resource be found. But at a fundamental level, it is still the exact same legal prescripts that apply to both in terms of uh, the environmental requirements. So if you're drilling for petroleum in the ocean, uh, for example, offshore, um, you know, there would obviously be additional requirements in terms of protection of flora and fauna uh, and things like that. But fundamentally, um, the, 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 the same type of requirements that you would have for exploration agreements uh, for minerals would essentially be similar to what you'd get in petroleum exploration as well. Interesting. 
So we, we've said that uh, there is very little justification for the state to insert itself uh, in exploration activities other than simply to regulate and license. We've also said, from what you can say, it's, it's clear that if you start with recognizing survey, you then go to prospecting, you go to mineral searching, drilling, uh, mineral chemistry, laboratories, and all those things. You know, the, the dollars start to add up, don't they? So the question is, having made that investment in seeking to find resources, but perhaps not finding anything, is there a case to be made for the state to compensate in some form? Yeah, so if you look at, you know, there's there's been there's been many discussions, especially recently around this. Now, so less than 1% of exploration projects typically progress uh, to establishing a mine, right? So there is a huge risk that companies are taking in terms of doing uh, exploration. Um, and this is part of the reason why mining and resources extracted come at a, in a huge financial cost. But minerals explorers are willing to take the risk, right? Because the, the rewards can also be great if a large enough resource uh, is found. Um, and most importantly, if you know the, the legal and financial conditions are conducive uh, to, to exploiting that resource. So I don't necessarily I don't necessarily believe that governments should compensate companies for risk. Uh, minerals explorers are willing to take on the risk. I think government should simply make uh, the business environment more conducive. So the risk associated with exploration and mining is reduced, and they can do that, uh, you know, with uh, using various things in terms of regulations that are not prohibitive, um, you know, and across the entire value chain. Uh, whether explore, getting an exploration permit and mining permit should be uh, quicker and faster. Environmental regulations shouldn't be too prohibitive. There's some sort of financial support mechanisms at exploration stage, um, and you know, mineral regulations are. are, are essentially regulated uh, according to uh, reasonable uh, global prescripts. So I think that, that there really shouldn't be a need for government to compensate companies for the risk associated with exploration because companies are willing to absorb the risk. All they need is just you know uh, uh, support uh, to make sure that that happens. Right. So let me put the question another way. You've made a point that... Uh, it's it's really up to companies to incur or not incur the risk and that they, they make the judgment call that all told if they win, they succeed. It, it sounds then that exploration is, is very much akin to R&D, for instance, in pharmaceuticals. Would that be correct? Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's some similarities uh, between uh, the, ex the work that we do in exploration and the work that we do in, in research and development. So when you think about what we're trying to do, we're trying to essentially find a needle in a haystack, right? So we're looking at a huge area and we're trying to locate uh, what could be a two kilometer by two kilometer resource. Now, part of the exploration phase, uh, uh, it essentially involves R&D to a large extent because you're testing a hypothesis, right? You think there is a large IOC deposit, for example, and you apply some scientific thinking, some method to understand the nature and distribution of that deposit style. So that, that's a research approach. The only difference is that unlike, you know, in a typical academic uh, uh, environment, you don't have a lot of time to do that. So you have very little time to figure things out. Uh, in exploration, the key is to fail quickly and move on. 
Um, so you don't you don't you don't get afforded many many years of research to find uh, a deposit. Uh, you 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 do it as quickly as possible. So there are some similarities with uh, with research. I think the biggest difference for me is the time that's allocated. Right. It's funny you remind me that. Of course, what this means is that many geologists spend their lives searching and never make a single discovery. It's an extraordinary profession Absolutely. to be in, uh, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, unless yes. unless to your point, you are an academic and you just study rock classification, in which case that's it. But if you are in the business of it, and and it reminds me that ever so often, to your to your point, companies strike it like. And a geologist strike it like, you know, the Botswana diamond mines were discovered under the leadership of one person. One guy found two needles in a haystack. That's one hell of a thing. Yeah. And if there is ever a case for striking and lucky, that was one. But you're also right because you reminded us that uh, minerals don't care in isolation. So clearly the company must take an, have taken a view that Kimberley cannot be alone. There is another Kimberley yeah. in the vicinity and that it was likely uh, not to be so far. So it, it, it's a combination of science, knowledge and judgment, and then using historic knowledge to create the thesis that says, yes, we will go here. And this is why. So, so it, it looks on the face value like sheer lack, uh, which I guess it must be since there's no guarantee. But it is something of a science also, isn't it, uh, David? Yeah, no, it is. It is. I mean, uh, as you said, many, many people uh, some, or some people, not many people have been, uh, they've been very lucky in making a discovery. And I must say it's getting a lot more difficult now to find new deposits. Uh, the obvious deposits have been found. And, you know, typically some of the mines have been found where, you know, somebody would be in the backyard and picking up a shiny rock and like, oh, this seems interesting. And they give it to a geologist. The geologist looks at it like, huh, you know, this could be a kimberlite and they start digging. But, you know, it, it doesn't happen like that anymore. The obvious deposits are obviously underground. They are deep and they are undercover. Um, so we need, you know, a different level of thinking, a different level of approach, a different level of scientific research to find these uh, these these deposits so there's there's definitely a science uh, to it and maybe a little bit of luck <laughs> but uh, you know most of the time we tend to rely on the science so now i do have to ask you if you think just uh in terms of uh, you know duty of care and moral responsibility given how risky uh and costly mineral and oil and gas exploration can be should state-owned companies invest limited public resources searching for this needle in a haystack? Yeah, so there's, you know, there, there's been very good examples um, globally where state mining companies have managed to, I suppose, compete fairly in the exploration and mining phases. Uh, but this really needs um, excellent regulatory framework. Um, I don't necessarily think that um, state companies need to be treated any differently in a sense that the same laws that apply uh, to other non-state companies should apply to them as well because they are also taking uh, some form of a uh, some form of a risk. So I think that um, as long as there are, there is a legal and a transparent way in which exploration is conducted, 
um, in in a in a specific jurisdiction, state companies should be able to to compete in that environment. Now, if you look at companies like Codelco in Chile, um, you know Petrobras in Brazil, uh, Marden in Saudi, they they've done fairly well and they've contributed a lot uh, to state growth and you know all manner of social economic uh, upliftments. And 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 they've done that within a, a legal uh, framework. Of course, there have been disasters as well, where state companies have, you know, really uh, not contributed anything. And this is because the legal, the legalities and the legal prescripts were, were did not exist. But I think that if as long as the as long as the environment, the legal environment is there and is solid and sound, is transparent and is fair. Uh, I think that they should uh, state state owned companies should uh, be able to conduct exploration. Uh, so uh, let's have a look at this. In these uh, exploration agreements, um, there is this concept of use or lose it. What does it mean, and why is it a necessary principle that is embedded in exploration agreements? Yeah. So typically, what happens is that the explorer would uh, they would get granted um, a permit to conduct exploration over a certain time. So um, the permit has an expiry date, um, you know, maybe three or five years or so, depending on where you are. Over that time, the explorer commits uh, on doing specific work uh, that will lead to them, uh, hopefully lead to them knowing that there's some sort of a mineral potential there or not. After they're done, they can either renew the license uh, to keep on doing more exploration, uh, or if they find something converted into a mining license. But the explorer is not allowed to sit on the license and do nothing. Um, this is this will be sterilizing uh, essentially mineral exploration. This is not good uh, for the sector. They must either conduct exploration activities, um, find something or not find something. If they don't find anything, move on. Uh, maybe somebody else will pick up the, the, the same exploration license with better technology, come and find something. So they can, they must, they must do that over a specific period of time, uh, or they must relinquish it. Um, in essence, they lose it. So basically, the use it or lose it principle is that you are given a specific amount of time to conduct exploration, uh, do that within a, uh, a period of time. If you don't find anything, move on, uh, and and other people can 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 have a look. Uh, but you're not allowed to just sit on it and do nothing. And this is unfortunately what seems to be happening in many jurisdictions, especially in the African continent, where exploration is essentially sterilized because the people with a valid exploration license are not doing anything. And they keep on renewing the license and renewing the license, um, hoping for somebody to come and pick it up and do the work for them. So I think they'll use it or lose it principle is a very good principle to have uh, because then you don't it doesn't lead to exploration activities been been sterilized right so so in other words it's intended to guard against a person acquiring the right to explore and not exploring in the knowledge that as long as they have the license nobody else can explore and and the the notion Absolutely. of sterilization as you define it means that to the extent that there may be minerals there for which there has not been a properly executed exploration program, the country is the, is losing in terms of the yeah. opportunity cost of time and uh, value of money, but also opportunity cost of bringing that mineral deposit potentially to uh, project development phase and therefore all 
uh, all the necessary uh, economic benefits. Now, and, and what you're saying is people do this because they really don't have any intention to explore. They're just speculating. And, and so I guess what it yeah. means is that one of the things governments should do is to find ways to make it difficult for people not to do that. And the use and lucid principle is one of them, where you, you undertake the program, you undertake the stipulated expenditure, or else the license is uh, uh, terminated and, and then somebody else might pick it up. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and you know, there's I, I could apply for an exploration license. I'm a one-man show. Um, I could sit on it and wait for a bigger company to come and, uh, you know, make a deal. They give me money, I give them the license, and I, I move on. So the government is trying to avoid, you know, this dealing with licenses uh, as well, so that, you know, you, you, you have to guard against uh, this type of behavior where exploration doesn't happen simply because people... Uh, you know, maybe they don't, they don't have no interest in it or they have no money yeah, to do the, the exploration. Yeah, I, I guess the other challenge, of course, and risk for government is that you you start off by awarding David a license and, and you award it because he presented a certain profile. Somewhere in the process, yes. David passes it on to another person whose profile as an investor you may not particularly uh, want, but you are lumped with because yes. David uh, was not was essentially negotiating in, in bad faith. So I guess in would this faith. be the reason why governments may want whenever licenses pass hands to approve them? Is, is it so that they can at least adjudicate and determine that the right person has the license for the right reason with the right profile? Yes, yes. And 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 in a way it, it you know it would make a lot of sense for 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 government to sort of get involved and say well, you know, we, we, we're giving this license to you. You have demonstrated that you have the financial capacity to do the work. Um, and we're giving this license uh, in good faith, uh, hoping that you will do the work. Uh, so there, there needs to be a little bit of uh, background checks, if you like, or due diligence is the, probably the correct way um, of ensuring that somebody who gets given a license, they will actually do the job. Um, and, 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 and they will do the job within the stipulated time frame. So that oversight role of the state in terms of administering license, I think, I think it is it is important. Right. Here is my last question to you, uh, David. We explore, we find the minerals. So what happens? Uh, how do we transist, simplistically speaking, uh, from exploring to mining, and and presumably then uh, acquiring a different license? So yeah, I mean, exploration is you know obviously is a is a, it's a range of different activities, um, and you know the initial exploration activities they they might uh, they they're, they're very expensive. It's a very expensive exercise, um, and if uh, you get lucky, you it happens to identify that you know there's some sort of a mineral that can be commercially extracted. Uh, mining might be pos possible in the future. Um, then you know you 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 might start looking into applying for a mining license. Now you only apply for a mining license after you've gained a level of confidence uh, from exploration activities. So this could have been from core drilling, for example, where you know you you've taken a sample uh, down a depth, you've sent it to a lab, you've done all manner of analysis, you've drilled you know tens of hundreds of even thousands of meters uh, of 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 core. 
uh, and you've quantified that there might be, you know, two billion tons of a specific uh, commodities. Now, once that's done, um, you develop some sort of a resource model. Um, this is where you know where the, 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 the you know you, you start doing your your financial modeling uh, in essence. Once you're confident that you have all of that in place, you then apply for a, a mining permit, and this now is. Uh, you know, where you start digging and start extracting and start exploitation. Um, and this is, you know, the mining permits would, would then usually consider a whole host of issues, you know, social issues, economical issues, um, environmental issues, and all of that. And this is where the state, um, many, in many, many jurisdictions, tends to be uh, much more involved. And um, it is probably one of the most complicated stages uh, because there's a lot of different stakeholders uh, to deal with, uh, communities and um, all of that. So the transition from exploration to mining, um, you know, obviously takes a long period of time, can be 10 years uh, in some cases. And that is uh, uh, um, you know, a, a transition that, that happens in consultation with many different stakeholders. Um, and 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 I think this is where many other considerations also need to be done. What what, what does the state uh, get out of it? Uh, things like that. So it's a it's a it's a complex uh, level of activities from exploration to mining. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's true. You know, I enjoyed this conversation because very infrequently, you people talk about exploration. People talk about mining forgetting to your point that a lot happens before you get there. And in effect, that so much happens, sadly, none of which we ever hear of because there's never a discovery. But most of us think that every time an explorer goes out, they make a discovery, little knowing it's only 1% of uh, yeah. potential discoveries. Well, David, that was very helpful. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I learned a lot from listening to you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sheila. It was great talking to you.